Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. These words from Desmond Tutu sum up Easter for me. That's the whole deal right there. If that's not true, we might as well all pack up and go home as far as I'm concerned. I'll have more to say about that in a minute. But first, I'll start by saying what I think this quote does not mean. There's some temptation to read these words and think, well, if goodness is stronger than evil, then goodness will defeat evil. If love is stronger than hate, then light is stronger than darkness, well then there should be no more hate and no more darkness. If life is stronger than death, then death shall be no more. We read this as an either-or, a zero-sum game. Winner-take-all to the elimination of the lesser than. Well, as it happens, I've been doing a bit of grade one math recently as part of our rigor rigorously academic homeschool program. One of the things we've been practicing in grade one is our greater thans and lesser thans. And as it turns out, for one number to be greater than another number does not mean that the lesser number is re reduced to nothing. If, say, 54 is greater than 53, well, that does not mean that 53 is nothing. Quite the opposite, actually. If we look carefully, we find that the smaller number is actually contained within the greater number. 54 is made up very much of the same stuff as 53. The difference being, quite literally, that 54 goes one more than 53. I bring up this basic mathematics lesson on Easter because there's a temptation to pretend that the new life of Easter undoes or eliminates the path of the pain of death. If life is stronger than death, then, well, death is null and void. If Christ is risen indeed, well then, why are you crying? But that's not what the Easter story says. When we read the Easter story, we find plenty of tears and fears. Jesus' friends thought they were going to a tomb that morning. They had just been through a week of tension and trauma, and now they were beginning to grieve. Those emotions were not magically undone by Easter. Much of what they were grieving was actually true, even with the good news of the resurrection. Their old way of life was gone for good. They would never again enjoy the close relationship that they had with Jesus as their in-the-flesh friend and rabbi. Things are about to get weird, really weird, like walking through walls weird, old friend with new faces weird. This is going to require major adjustments. Much of what Jesus' followers loved was gone, transformed into something different, perhaps better, but still, what they loved was gone. That left some scars, some wounds that did not fully heal. Something of that resonates deeply with me on this COVID-19-themed Easter Sunday. If you're not feeling much like celebrating Easter and toasting new life today, I hear you. We are grieving the loss of what was and what we thought would be. That doesn't go away easily, especially when we're still in the middle 
of the experience. So if you don't feel like cheering today, that's appropriate and healthy. Note the emotions of the first Easter, despair, fear, and doubt. I so admire the honesty of the ending of the Gospel of Mark. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Yep, if today you don't feel like saying nothing to no one, you're in good company. And that's where the math lesson comes in. Maybe the good news of Easter is not that our grief is swept away by the hope of the resurrection, but there's, that there is room for our grief within the hope of the resurrection. 54 is greater than 53, by including 53 and going one more. So maybe life includes death and then one more. Love makes space for that which is hateful, but redeems it by going beyond it. Goodness includes that which what, that what we thought was evil and transcends it, not by stopping there, by always going one further. So don't force Easter celebrations on yourself or on anyone else. Our grief is still fresh. Our future is still uncertain, and it is not unfaithful to feel those emotions. And remember that our grief does not mean that we will be stuck there because life is greater than death. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. I love the image that John's Gospel paints of the scene of Easter morning. The tomb where Jesus was buried was in a garden. And John went to make sure that you notice that fact. As I hope someone has pointed out to you before, this garden scene very intentionally recalls the Garden of Eden in the Genesis creation story. That's what John's whole gospel is about, a new creation story. In the beginning, the gospel begins, placing Jesus not as a plot twist in the middle of the story, but right there from the start, the very word of God that spoke all of creation into being. Once again, even at his death, the setting is a garden of delight, wild and fresh and amazing. Once again, a human is pulled from the earth. Once again, two angelic beings guard the entrance, though with hospitality instead of a sword. Once again, the action begins with a man and a woman. My favorite detail of this story is the line about Mary mistaking the risen Jesus for a gardener. We always see Jesus portrayed in this pristine white robe, all holy and gorgeous. But the suggestion here is that maybe Jesus was a little bit muddy, a little bit sweaty, a little bit looking like a guy who had spent a few hours in the early morning pulling weeds to beat the heat of the day. She thought he was the gardener. Of course she did, because here, as usual, Jesus is playing both roles. Part the human, just given new life. Part the word, through whom all life has risen. The cultivator, the sustainer, the gardener. And then there is the timing of the whole thing. This scene takes place on the first day of the new week. In Genesis, the creation takes six days, 
And on the seventh day, God rested. On the Sabbath day, Jesus' body rested in the tomb. But today, Easter is the first day of the new week. The cycle has begun again. The new day brings a new creation. Behold, I am making all things new. That is Easter. It's time to reboot the franchise. That's the whole story. New creation. There's a whole new world being born right in the middle of the existing one. Here again, the old is not banished, but it's included and transformed. This garden has a tomb right in the middle of it because death is part of life. It's just that in this new creation, we begin to see that death itself is transformed. Death itself leads to more life. Goodness is stronger than evil. Love is stronger than hate. Light is stronger than darkness. Life is stronger than death. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. Through him who loved us. Victory is ours. There's the chorus. Victory is ours through Jesus who loves us. I've been holding off on that part of the quote until now because victory is such a loaded word. Our idea of victory skews towards destructive power, dominating power. In the Heichmann Homeschool, another significant portion of the curriculum is devoted to games. For spelling class, we play Boggle and Bananagrams. For math, we play Dutch Blitz. For university-level logic and philosophy, we play Mastermind and King Domino, and occasionally, Sorry. Now, if you've ever played Sorry with a six-year-old, you know just how badly that title lies. Sorry? Nobody is ever sorry when playing Sorry. The whole point of the game is to move forwards by sending the others backwards. So the only people who are sorry are the losers. I was awful at good sportsmanship when I was a kid. I was a sore loser and then even worse as a winner. Even now as a parent, it's really hard to sit back and let the kids win one every now and then. I want to win. I want to control the game, own the board, kick some butt, destroy the enemy. I want victory. That concept of victory is not only a thing for six-year-olds. Our concept of winning is about dominance. And if we can work it out to our benefit, destruction. Survival of the fittest, that's the basic understanding most of us have of the world these days. And so when we talk about victory on Easter, the tendency is to imagine some kind of dominating power. If Jesus wins, then someone has to lose, be that the devil or death or those who don't believe in Jesus' resurrection strongly enough in the right way. Sorry, but is the power of God a destructive power? Is the power of God a dominating power? On Good Friday, we see what God's love looks like. Not destroying, but embracing the destroyers. Not dominating, but sacrificing 
for the good of those bent on domination. Not demanding belief, but laying everything down for those who did not believe. The victory of Easter is true to what I've already said about the greater than power of goodness, light, love, and life. It includes and goes one better. It is creative power, taking what we thought was nothingness and transforming it into goodness. It is sustaining power, the strength to bear all things, trust through all things, hope all things, endure all things. The way of the cross was not a strategic move on the path to a dominant victory. The way of the cross is the victory, the path of love, the path of sacrifice. The cross is what is making all things new. The good news for today is that in the life of Jesus, in the cross and in the resurrection, there is room for all of you. And by that, I mean that there is room for y'all, for sure. But there's also room for all of you. Whatever kind of Easter you're having, whatever you experience in this pandemic, whatever death you're grieving, whatever losses you're carrying, whatever fears you have for the future, the victory of Easter makes space for all of that. And then it goes one step beyond, one step better. Our God is making all things new. This is Easter. Sure. 